This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It's not easy for us busy geotechnical engineers to keep up with industry trends while keeping up for engineering work. Therefore, it's our goal at the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast to help you do just that. We strive to keep our listeners informed of important industry topics and also to educate you on interesting technical topics and trends in the geotechnical world. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Ryan Coggins, PE, Senior Geotechnical Engineer at Kiwit Infrastructure Engineers. We'll be talking about his career journey, and more specifically, we'll be talking about the differences between being a consultant and being a contractor as it relates to geotechnical engineering. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I'm excited to be bringing you another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Tensar International. Here's a message from Tensar about their award-winning software, Tensar Plus, which is available to you at no cost. Check out Tensar Plus. The award-winning design software for construction professionals to design with geosynthetics and calculate their value on projects. Tensar Plus is simple to use with a powerful engineering system at its core. It leverages our decades of research and experience with soils all over the world, so you can count on your solutions working the first time, even in the most difficult conditions. Whether you're designing a crane pad or need to build a temporary road over muck, the cost, time, and carbon savings can be calculated making comparison with alternatives simple. Specs, reports, and product data can be generated for your design. And training resources, research, and our third-party expert reviews are all provided conveniently in the software if needed. Usable both online and offline, the app is available in browser and on all major mobile platforms. Whatever you're working on, Tensar Plus is your toolbox for success. Welcome to the show, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing good. How about yourself, Jared? Doing great. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm really glad we were able to nail down a time and place that, that worked for both of us, right? A lot of running around these days. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's busy out there. So I've been traveling quite a bit and glad to be on the show. Well, it'd be great if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, talk about your career journey and uh, you know what you've been doing. Keep busy these days. I'm a senior geotechnical engineer at Kiwit, a spearhead, a, a fairly unique set of professionals that we get to get involved in both design and construction across the company. So it's definitely an interesting week-to-week experience here. But I started in construction back during college, working my way through, really kind of found my passion in construction. So after graduating from Mississippi State University in 2003, I went on to be a field engineer on the construction side of things over in Atlanta, 
and uh, did that for a few years. Got tired of working in the hot summers and the cold winters. Had advice from a geotech I knew that said, you know, what? why don't you go for your PE, get into consulting, and if you decide to go back to construction, you can always go back, but it's a little bit more difficult to go the other direction as you get older and you have families and, and those kinds of things. So I did that, took the leap into geotech and uh, became a consultant in 2003 and did that for a little more than a dozen years, doing a little bit of everything from small retail parcels to million square foot warehouses, million cubic yard grading jobs to power plants and even got into nuclear design there for a while. Transitioned a few locations, few companies uh, ended up moving from Georgia to Texas and then eventually progressed all the way to managing South Louisiana for a consulting firm on the geotech side. Around 2015, took a leap back into the contractor side of things with the Deep Foundation specialty contractor, spent several years doing that. And uh, then here I am at Kiwit, getting to do a little bit of everything. A lot of people will have a career fully in consulting. Others have a career fully in specialty contractor. Sounds like you've been moving around a little bit. I think it's really helped me having that experience, the broad experience from being a field inspector, a special inspector side of things, doing materials testing, understanding the laboratory testing involved, being out with drill rigs, doing geotechnical borings, and then turning that into the construction side. What Everything I've done in the past is just building on what I'm going to be doing today and tomorrow and, and hopefully next week. And I have to imagine that that gives you a perspective of what one another is looking for. So as the design consultant, you know, have an idea what the bidders are going to be looking for and, and paying attention to it and vice versa. It really helps, particularly when we're looking at geotechnical reports from the consultant, either the, the owners provided it or the consultant may actually work for us. Having that intimate understanding of what they're doing and how they got there really helps us take a look at it sort through the data, and then apply that going forward and into the construction and hopefully finding the efficiencies there. Yeah, I guess as a geotechnical engineer, we learned so much. We know a lot academically and theoretically, but the practical experience comes back to the projects we work on. And when you think back on the projects, you think about a specific project that was instrumental to your career or your development as an engineer, and this could be on the consulting side or on the contracting side. I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are. I don't know. That's tough to narrow down. Even the the smaller projects that I was involved in, these may be very, very small geotechnical explorations, but a lot of times those very small parcels can be the more difficult ones to work on because they're not being built on prime land. Typically, you're dealing with you know, settlement issues and you've got time constraints and budget constraints. And so you have to be pretty nimble to operate on those. And then as you get into the larger projects, it's really just a combination of the other things and these smaller tasks that you've done rolled into one big package and you just uh, you attack the, the bigger problem piece by piece. In a sense, it, it makes you more proficient as a professional, having been down those roads and understanding the smaller pieces that feed into you know, these bigger projects that we're doing now. 
you know, I think about geotechnical engineering, talk to a lot of people on this podcast and, you know, throughout the industry. I think one of the things that's so cool about geotech, you think about all of civil engineering is the flexibility that's there, you know, as far as the types of things you could do with that degree and that background. And I look at your background, very impressive background. I worked on a lot of different types of geotechnical aspects. Uh, You've also done business development, I understand, and also marketing. What would you say are the differences between working as a consultant and then working as a contractor? And when you look at the experiences, I have to imagine that they're intertwined, but what are some of the differences you've seen and experienced? There's definitely different philosophies with each one. So the, the consultants may not even know what loads they're trying to design to, but they're trying to get information about the site, provide recommendations that meet the needs of the project, and then attempting to forecast what the contractor is going to do once they get out there to build it. It's difficult from a geotechnical consultant standpoint. You almost have to try to foresee the future there a bit, and you may not even get to be involved in the construction side of things to to know what was actually built. That piece alone is very difficult. And then on the contractor side, you're trying to take these reports that are really not blanket statements, but you know they're trying to cover all the bases and you're trying to whittle it down to now we have a very defined scope of what we're trying to build, what information is pertinent, what information, could we even go get better information to help us streamline these bids and then apply that to the design side, get out there and build it. And then, you know, so on the geotech contractor side of things, we not only get to play geotech consultant a bit, but we also get our hands dirty and get out there in the field to see these things from start to finish. There's a number of people, like I can remember when I was in school, I was like, well, I want to be a civil engineer. Then it was like, I want to be a geotech or a structural. Then it was like, oh, I want to be a consultant. So you have to, all these either ors, right? But if somebody's trying to figure out if they should start, I'll say start because you've shown you can go from one to the other to the other. How does somebody know if they should start in consulting or if they should start in contracting? Again, there's a litany of other things, but out of those two, how does somebody decide which way to go? Whenever I was going through college, I I didn't fully understand what I wanted to do. I thought about, well, I I really kind of liked surveying. I liked geotech. I liked, I was very heavy in structures. I liked the structural engineering side of things. I really liked the the construction side, uh, getting out there, self-performing, pouring concrete, tying rebar, those kinds of things. And for me, the, the deciding factor coming out of school was just salary. A lot of the money's on the construction side. I already had a position as a field engineer, so why not go for the better salary and go do what I like? And then, you know, somewhere along the line, I jumped into geotech, took a little bit of a pay cut, but had a lot better hours and, uh, you know, started from there. And so just progressing through becoming a PE and then going through my career, I get to see both sides of it that, you know, yeah, I wasn't really short-sighted going into construction. It, It was definitely gave me more tools in my toolbox as a geotech that helped propel me as a geotech. To me, there's no downside going one way or the other. And, uh, you know, even on the geotechnical consulting side of things, the stuff you learn there, you can't learn anywhere else unless you've been behind that drill rig, seeing the samples coming out, understanding what they're doing. And so now on the where I'm at now, the geotech on the design and construction side, I look at these reports and, and I fully understand what they're saying, and that helps me do my job better. So that helps to feed me, helps 
helps me to be more technically proficient. And you know, even on that, whenever I go reading white papers and technical manuals, I can see the bigger picture because I've had those experiences. And coming out of college, I, I honestly, I didn't see the full picture. I, I knew a lot less than what I thought I did, even academically, until I got into the consulting realm and started going through all the calculations, understanding the philosophy, understanding where even some of these things came from back in the day. And, and a lot of the things that we do today, we're effectively beating a glorified pipe in the ground and extrapolating just massive amounts of data out of it. I don't think you can fully understand that unless you've been behind the drill rig and touched the samples yourself. So, I'm thinking about my first few years of work and I had a master's degree, but a lot of t- it was my first time seeing these things. You know, you design brace excavations, you're in the field and you're like, ah, that's a tie back. You know, it's just kind of like... Some of us go through a long career and as a consultant, you do tend to get live in a little bit of a, a bubble, either regionally or geologically. You tend to stay, you know, within, say, a couple of hundred miles of where you operate. One thing that I've, I've seen in the industry is that And uh, I was the same way, is that you operate fine in that bubble. And then once you move to another area, you've got to get out of your comfort zone and really understand the technical side to be able to move into different applications, understanding different geologies, different construction techniques. So to me, that's a really important aspect of being a geotech consultant is try to get outside of that bubble to advance your career. And it'll make you a better geotech, you know, wherever you're at. That's so true. If you work in just one region, one town or something like that, you know what's going to happen before you even do anything. But once you start going to some of these places where the uh, geology map is a convergence of a lot of different colors, right? It's like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Yeah, it's intimidating. It was intimidating for me. It's still intimidating, but you know, maybe that's my safety mechanism telling me I need to go learn more. I rely on the folks around me that, that are a lot smarter than me to, to help me with differences regionally, different, uh, you know, if you put in an auger cast pile in one place, that may not be the same thing in another place. You get into tiebacks. If you're up in the Northeast, that's completely different if you're out West. So uh, understanding that, one, I, I definitely do not know everything and I need to continue gaining that experience just to be more proficient down the road. It keeps us humble, if anything, right? To realize you have to keep learning. It definitely keeps you humble. Let's talk a little bit more about the academic experience. And one could say versus the field experience, but you know, the academic experience and then the field experience. Like, how does one reinforce the other? How does one prepare you for the other? You might have somebody that's doing an internship before finishing their academic studies, or you may have somebody that gets their advanced degrees and then goes onto the field. But talk about that a little bit what it means for the geotech having this balance of the academic experience and then the practical field experience. For me, it was really, I was just trying to get out of college and make a paycheck. I had thought about an advanced degree and I made my decision that, well, hey, I need to go get a paycheck, which, you know, has worked out fine. But it's for me personally, I strive to learn a lot of these academic things, either attending conferences, attending seminars, reading manuals in my downtime, you know, as fun as that sounds, but having that field experience, especially in college, I think really sets the younger engineer up to figure out, one, what do they really want to do? What do, do they have a passion for it yet? 
And whenever I jumped into geotech, I, I didn't have a passion for it yet, but that developed over a couple of years. And it was as I became more technically competent that I really, really enjoy waking up every day now to go into work, deal with complex geotechnical issues, you know, dealing with contractor issues. So the field experience to me is hands down, I feel like that, that every PE should have field experience under their belt, either on the consulting side or on the contractor side to reinforce what they've been learning in the textbooks. And then, you know, hats off to the folks that have gone through and gotten those advanced degrees. That's setting them up with better tools in their tool belt to go out into the real world. But I, I don't think you can replace practical field experience with anything in a textbook or anything on paper. I think hands-on is absolutely necessary to, to be a, a good geotech. When you uh, think about the future of the geotechnical industry, what do you think is on the horizon or what's in the future for us? Right now, I, I think geotech is pretty exciting. It's a great place to be right now. I, for a while there, it was maybe not appreciated as much as it should, but it seems like in the past few years, the value of geotech has really come to light. And then, of course, you know, podcasts like this is really helping to to show the younger engineers out there what's available to them. Whenever I graduated, we didn't have podcasts. We barely had internet at that point. It's exciting. There's lots of work out there. Some of it's not the funnest work, but you know, if you go out with a positive attitude and you learn something every project or even just every day at the office, that, that is what gets me excited, learning something new. As far as the future, I think that that's where the, the earlier career engineers are really going to change the industry because now we've got technology that is helping us older fellas figure things out better. Either we figure out that, well, maybe we were too conservative or, hey, we were spot on. But combining those two is where I think things really get exciting with better instrumentation, better modeling. Now we can share all the information that we've got where it's used to. It was pretty difficult to even find a white paper or a technical manual. Things have just evolved over the past couple of decades that, that has really gotten the information out there. And that just builds upon itself for the future. That's done a lot for the industry. When you think about the knowledge sharing, think about all the conferences that we attend and the way you're able to get case histories out. And you're right, it's a lot easier to get access to this information. So that's it's helpful for everybody. Definitely. I've been a proponent, I guess I'm going on close to 20 years now. Whenever I come across a white paper or a technical manual, I try to you know grab a copy. There's so much information out there on the public realm that if you sit down and, and you go through it, you can pick up on a lot of things just going through that. And I, I keep basically a technical folder for all sorts of things, some things I thought I would never touch again, but you know, lo and behold, here I am. It not only helps get the information to you, but you get to see the evolution of how some of these things that we do has changed over the years. So I, and to me, that's a huge benefit of understanding the methodology and the origins of some of the calculations we do, or even just the philosophy of, of what we do. If you're ever doing anything, not necessarily forensic, but anything that's tied back to working alongside 
the historic st- structure or something like that, understanding what was done for a building of that vintage, it's like super important. I find myself going back to old building codes to see what were the governing factors back then. And it gives you a clue of what could be there. So we're almost like detectives here, right? It's geotechs. Exactly. Yeah. Even modern day building codes, if you go back to the early origins of IBC, there's been a lot of changes over the years and there's going to be more changes coming. I'm part of a committee with ASE that's helping to write the next standard for all things geotech and foundations, shallow and deep foundations, ground improvement. So, you know, being part of that committee has not only been exciting to see changes coming, but I've been able to contribute to that. So, you know, to me, that's one of the the bigger, if you want to call it accomplishments, is for me, it's just being part of that committee, being around some of these guys, they write the manuals and they've written the manuals for quite a while. So just being exposed to that, it's pretty humbling to, to be part of that group. So it all feeds on itself. That's really awesome. Well, thank you for your contributions there. Looking forward to learning more about that in the near future. Before we take our break, final piece of advice you'd like to give some of the younger listeners out there? I'd say for the early career professionals, really just put yourself out there. Get out there and network with the folks you see, whether it's on LinkedIn, at conferences, if you're on projects, get to know the folks that are on the team for the project. So you can learn so much from the folks that have been around. You know, It not only helps you on the project having that personal connection, but you really learn a lot of life experiences and professional experiences from those people that have been out there for a while. I mean, you you can't replace decades of experience, but if you can get exposed to some of that, those are the things that stick in the back of my mind as I, you know, day to day is the conversations I had early on that I think, you know, man, that advice that engineer gave me was spot on. And here I am, you know, 10 or 20 years later, using that same advice. And I'm trying to pass that on to the to younger engineers as well. That's great. Yeah, I can remember uh, the days of meeting people at conferences. And I'm like, wait a minute, I just reviewed your shop drawing. You know, it's kind of like putting the name to the face. It's kind of like, wow, these are people on the other side. You will always cross paths with the person you're meeting today. You're going to run across them in the future. You might be working for them. They might be working for you. It's almost scary uh, how often that happens. No, you're absolutely right. It's a very small world and an even smaller industry when you think about it. Exactly. Well, that's a good moment for us to pause. We're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Ryan on our Career Factor Safety End segment. Stick around. Before we dive in, we'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI provides expert prep courses and study resources designed to help you pass the FE and PE exams the first time. PPI's live online courses include hours of lectures, problem-solving demonstrations, exam strategy sessions, office hours, and a passing guarantee. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. It's time for our Career Factor Safe Me In segment. So in geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor safety into your career? 
Today, of course, we're speaking with Ryan Coggins, PE, Senior Geotechnical Engineer at Kiewit Infrastructure Engineers. Ryan, you've already had a very successful career, but when you look back at your career, what's one thing you implemented in your career to give yourself a factor of safety in your career? I'll give you an example. The first week here at Kiewit, I was getting introduced to one of the managers. He said something that, that was spot on, and it's a, a key phrase over here. It was plan the plan. And it was so simple that I, once I thought about it, I said, you know, that's really encompasses everything from your professional career to your personal life to just life in general. So the thing that, that I try to tell younger professionals is plan the plan. Where do you want to be in a few years? Figure out how you're going to get there. What adversities are you going to go through from point A to point B? How are you going to deal with it? And what are you going to learn from it so that you can carry that forward, you know, into the future? That key phrase there, I think, really says it all. And and that's what I've tried to do in my career was look ahead to what's coming down the road. What project am I going to be working on next? What do I need to know? before I get there? And how do I navigate the business side of geotech? How do I navigate the technical side of geotech? And plan the plan really encompasses all of that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing such great insights with us. You shared some great information and advice I know is going to be helpful for our listeners. If somebody's listening or watching and wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to find you? You have an email address you want to share or you're on social media? I would say LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. I've been very active on LinkedIn for 10 or 15 years at least. And uh, your listeners are more than welcome to reach out to me there. And I'll be glad to respond to them and help them however I can, uh, you know, whether it's professional advice or, you know, putting them in contact with, with someone I know that might be able to help them. Thank you so much for coming on. This is great. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback comments, and or questions, please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, that being episode 56, as well as any links to resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.com dot org.